My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. There's been this Catholic men's movement that first started maybe a decade ago called Exodus 90. I believe that it began at Mount St. Mary's Seminary where a group of men preparing for the priesthood decided that they needed to embrace some greater scriptural-based spiritual practice to help in their formation. And the blessings of that experience led the organizers to start inviting other men's groups to participate in this 90-day focus on prayer, asceticism, and fraternity to where now it's become this global thing that tens of thousands of men are engaged in right now. In our day and age where comfort, convenience, and pleasure have been advanced as the most important goals, it's been interesting to see these, these ancient practices being rediscovered and embraced and all the growth and transformation that comes from them. A few years ago, for the season of Lent, a group of men in our Catholic campus ministry at Montclair State had heard about it and thought it would be something that they'd like to do as a way of entering into that sacred season a a bit more thoughtfully and intentionally. So it was Ash Wednesday around 10.30 in the morning, and I was in the hallway just getting things ready for, for our masses and confessions that we'd be holding on campus. The Exodus group was holding their their first of their weekly meetings. And they were reviewing the list of things that they had committed to. For prayer, they had agreed to daily prayer with a a morning offering and an examination of conscience before bed. They were going to follow this reading plan and they were going to try to make a holy hour and get to daily mass at least three times a week. For the fraternal aspects, they each had an accountability partner to check in with daily. And they had these weekly meetings for the whole group. And then for the asceticism, doing acts of self-denial and making some sacrifices, included in a somewhat lengthy list where they were to take cold showers, they were to fast and abstain from meat on Wednesdays and Fridays, cut out all television and any unnecessary computer and smartphone use. That's when, and I promise I was not eavesdropping, 
one of the guys kind of connected a bunch of things in his head and said, wait, so I can't play any video games? What am I going to do from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock every night? And I just busted out laughing. And they all got very quiet. And I heard the kids say, Father Jim, is that you? Are you laughing at me? And I said, yes and yes. These kids, and I know they're 18 to 24 years old, and all the professionals at the university keep emphasizing that we're not supposed to call them kids. We're supposed to emphasize that they're young men and women, or maybe that's too controversial and just say young adults. But the reality is my beloved young men and women are still very much kids. So as I was listening first off to that my young friend played video games for four hours every night, that's what made me laugh. Second, he didn't seem to have any issue with the whole list of other things that were being laid out, which, by the way, all of this, including the video game ban, had already been discussed. It wasn't like they were just springing this on on Ash Wednesday on them. It's just that my friend had finally read the fine print, and now he was looking at 40-plus days of being disconnected from Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever it was he plays regularly, and he was kind of disillusioned, thinking it's not possible. And that's what made me laugh. Playing video games to that extent seemed silly to me. But the reality is every one of us has something or some things like that. Things that we can't imagine living without, without not doing on a regular basis. A friend of mine who's a nutritionist and a health food expert a few weeks ago sent me two different articles that proposed not picking up your smartphone for an hour when you wake up in the morning and not drinking coffee for at least a half hour after you wake up. And my first reaction was, well, how the heck am I supposed to get up in the morning and get going? Because between the phone having my alarm, as well as all these different prayer resources that I use on apps on the phone, as well as the, the first of my pots of coffee that I have every day, That's what gets me out of the bed. And I had my usual go-to response to her, which I offered, as a priest, haven't I given up enough? Can you just leave me alone with my cup of coffee in the morning? The word detachment, the idea of not letting ourselves fall into habits or routines that might not even be morally bad, but could become things that we don't even realize we've come to rely on and given a greater importance than maybe they deserve, they often come up like a a New Year's resolution, something that we see value in, something we know is good for us, something we consider we might even try for a while and then quickly abandon as unpractical for any number of reasons. But spiritually, detachment is seen as a virtue, as a way of freedom, and it's essential in the life of faith to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, because being a follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the thing that defines everything for us in our lives. And that's what came to mind with today's scriptures, in particular this excerpt from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians that we heard as our second reading today. We get these snippets of Paul's letters at Sunday Mass, and they don't always line up with the other readings for the day. So I often don't find myself spending a lot of time with them. But today's was so short and dramatic. It's just three sentences, which is shocking itself. And the words on face value 
are a bit unnerving. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the time is running out. From now on, let those having wives act as not having them, those weeping as not weeping, those rejoicing as not rejoicing, those buying as not owning, those using the world as not using it fully, for the world in its present form is passing away. It's easy to think, there St. Paul goes again, speaking in puzzles or riddles. I mean, obviously, the Catholic Church still believes in marriage, it's a sacrament, and time is running out. Well, he said that 2,000 years ago, so it's hard to be anxious about time running out. But what is St. Paul trying to tell us? He's not saying husbands should ignore their marital vows and their commitments to their wives, and the same is true for wives in regards to their husbands as well. Paul's writing is not to exclude anyone, but he's always writing from his vantage point as a man. Nor is he saying to ignore our feelings and emotions that can cause us to weep or to rejoice. Nor is to act as if we don't own things, like just leave your keys in the car in the the parking lot. The whole thing comes together in that final sentence. The world in its present form is passing away. In this world, our time here is limited. We know we might get 100 plus years if we're lucky. And in that time that we have, whether we're going through a great time right now that causes us to rejoice or we might be going through a difficult season in life that's causing us to weep. Hopefully we've realized through these different experiences that yes, life happens, good times and bad times, and those times will pass. While all the the things that we own, things that we've invested in or worked hard to purchase, they will eventually break or get run down or become obsolete. Even the most important relationships that we can find on this earth, the bond between a husband and wife, will eventually end when one of those partners dies. Couples acknowledge that reality right on their wedding days, till death do us part. So these are just objective facts. So St. Paul's encouraging us to, to take the focus that we can so often apply to those other realities where we start to treat our possessions, or our emotions, our relationships as the most important things in our lives, and to stop, to recognize that as good as they may all be, we're supposed to be pursuing and applying that energy towards the source of all life, the creator of all things, the Lord God. Recognizing that he has revealed himself through prophets like Jonah, and most fully in becoming one of us and one with us in the incarnation of God becoming man in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus reveals is that God pursues us and he desires a relationship with us. And when those truths click for us, it demands a shift in what I think is most important in life. It means I no longer have a list of priorities. I have a priority which is a who, God himself. This means I need to have a healthy detachment from the things, from even my own emotions, 
and yes, even the people of this world, not because they're not important, they are, but only in light of how they're drawing me closer to God or not. And that's what we see in this gospel today. As Jesus announces the start of his public ministry with the words, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's ushering in the eternal kingdom that is not passing away. These men had already encountered Christ and had started to come to know him. Their minds and their hearts had already begun to get reordered with each of those meetings, that they started to recognize that the divine light that was radiating from within Jesus. God himself is walking and talking among them, and as Jesus calls these his first apostles, we see and hear how he's pursued them. The one who knew them better than they knew themselves had found them. That's what causes them to let go of their possessions. Whatever feelings and emotions they had were eclipsed. And they were not disavowing their families. They were trusting that the same loving God who had called them would be calling them too. They knew that they had to let Jesus lead and guide them. And this is the truth for every one of us who wishes to follow Jesus. For us, we're in a unique spot as Catholic Christians. By our baptisms, confirmations, and receiving the Eucharist, we've heard that call, and we've declared that our lives have been reordered by him. But so often, we don't recognize how our living in a world that is growing more secular and hostile to Christians that is blasphemous and disgustingly hateful to God himself, that we find ourselves torn with one foot in mass on the weekend and the rest of the week trying to fit in with that world. That's why I was so proud of that young guy who actually did stick with giving up his video games for 40 days. Because what he found was that it wasn't meant to be an endurance contest. This wasn't a, a suffering Olympics or some penance or punishment like he had done something wrong. He saw how this thing, this entertainment, this game had taken on greater importance than he had ever even realized. And as he had grown in his faith and grown closer to Jesus and wanted just to take his discipleship more seriously, he went from almost being in shock at the thought of not playing those games every day for 40 days to being in shock that it had ever become that important in his life in the first place. What is it for you and I? Two weeks in, I've survived without touching my phone for a few hours in the morning and holding off on that first cup of coffee. But more seriously, I keep evaluating how am I gonna to continue to integrate my life as a Christian into my daily life and detach from other things that might simply be distractions. But for all of us, we're, we're less than a month away from the start of Lent. And so these scriptures are meant to get us to start thinking about where am I in my life of faith? And how or does Jesus impact the entirety of our lives? How is he calling me to come and follow him more fully and completely? There's a beautiful prayer that a priest by the name of Father Pedro Arup wrote back in the 20th century that's just been a favorite of mine to help me constantly check myself in my life of discipleship that I'll share to close 
with the hopes that maybe it could be a source of reflection for you as well in answering those questions. It goes, nothing is more practical than finding God. That is, than falling in love in quite an absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything.